0: On this Labor Day weekend, celebrating the virtues of work and those who do it, I found myself drawn to this morning's scripture, which is Paul's letter to the Romans, 12th chapter, because it spells out the work that we as Christians, yea, even human beings, are called to do in our own lives. In Paul's time, unlike ours, What you became and the work you did was mostly determined at birth. Your religion, your social hierarchy, your gender, your birth order ordained your life. Paul's whole life had been planned and pre-programmed like Tiger Woods, in fact, even before he was born. As a Jew from Tarsus, he was held higher on the status, the hierarchy status, as were other Jews, because he was a Roman citizen, gave him rights that other Jews, not citizens, didn't have. As a child, he was educated in an elite Jewish temple, a student of the brilliant Pharisee Gamaliel. When he grew up, he was such a religious zealot that he spent most of his life trying to persecute the Gentile Christians for not conforming to Judaism. Therefore, everything Paul writes is from the point of view of someone whose work defines him. A Pharisee persecuting Christians who also happened to be a tent maker, which he did to make money. That also he learned, apparently, from his father. Conforming to these roles defined him from his birth and, apparently, to his death. Until one day, while walking on the road to Damascus, his whole life and his whole work was turned upside down by the love and grace of Christ, who called him by name, Paul. Why are you persecuting me? It was a presence so bright, a light so vivid, that he was struck blind by it. And when he finally got his sight back, he saw through those new eyes of his the truth that his whole life had been a charade. He was struck by the hypocrisy, self-righteousness, and false self that he had been living. Now this is what happens when Jesus strikes us that closely, calls us by name. At that point, we start to see ourselves as Jesus sees us. We see behind the masks that we hide behind through the eyes of God, who the psalmist says knows us better than we even know ourselves. This is the moment of complete transformation, the moment of conversion and freedom, when and where we are set free from all of those preordained shoulds and should nots and everything else that seemed to be fated And start becoming what we are actually called and created to be as children of God. And until it happens to us, sometimes more dramatic than in others, complete transformation, I think, is almost impossible. Paul's word for it is justification. We have been justified justified by Jesus Christ. That is, the margins have now been justified on the page, put back into relationship. And when we learn that God sees us and knows us and loves us still completely, unconditionally, sees behind all of our stuff and loves us still, we are transformed. Another word for it is grace. It can come through other people. It can come through some spiritual moment when God actually does call us by name. It can come through prayer. It can come in innumerable ways. But when it does, we are transformed. Friends, what that moment meant for Paul And for the world, Paul spells out in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. 11 chapters to talk about what that means. The remaining five chapters, Paul devotes to the question about what do we do now? How do we live our lives from this point on, having been transformed by the love of God in Jesus Christ? Paul begins this teaching in this morning's passage from chapter 12, verses, I'm going to read the whole section of this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourselves, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, which is your But, excuse me, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. He's talking about how do we live together in community. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members, then, one of another. We each have gifts that differ according to the grace that has been given to us, Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. And then he goes to preaching. Let love be genuine, he says. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Then he really goes to preaching. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Apparently he had seen how churches work. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. And if they're thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals, that is the fire of love, on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are our marching orders. And the word of the Lord. So there you have it. We should put it on our refrigerators as the goal of our life. And he begins by saying, do not be conformed to this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That is your whole psyche, your whole self, not just your head. That's your whole being so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It is a high and holy calling, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed in our total being to the will of God. But it is our calling nevertheless. You heard the list of what it looks like humility, perseverance, generosity, forgiveness, blessing our enemies, and that's not even half of it. But as Christians, or even say human beings, it is our life's work and if we really want to become fully integrated, whole in who we are called to be, we must go about it. Not as the person we put out there that we are, the masks of charade that we wear, the facade that we build around us, but the fully integrated, sincere selves that we were created to be authentic in and of ourselves. We must go about it. Have you ever looked back on your life and examined all the different masks that we have worn or that we wear still? We wear them in an attempt to conform to some role or expectation that we have been given or that we have claimed for ourselves. Maybe it was the mask of the firstborn child, the responsible be in charge persona that stereotypically fits that birth order. Or maybe it was the scowling mask of the black sheep, the rowdy rebel without a cause. It could have been the mask of an athlete or a math nerd a do-gooder, a ne'er-do-well, a successful business person, a housewife, a house husband, a socialite, or even an introvert. It could even have been the mask of being a good Christian. We've all got them. A whole closet and Chester drawers full of them. There's the mask we wear when we are with our brothers and sisters or with our parents who see us pretty much as the same person we were when we were five years old. Until the day she died, no matter how hard I tried, I could not get my mother to stop calling me Stevie. And she called my little sister Lee, Lee Baby, because she was the youngest. When I was young, my grandfather, Paul remarked that Jim, my older brother, was smart as a whip. But you need to watch out for him because he's tricky. He went on to become a lawyer. (laughs) But Stevedore, what he called me, is a caretaker. So I went on to become a minister. Now, did he actually see something in us that we were destined to become? Or did his pronouncement of what we become become end up being the role that we ended up playing. Did he preordain us? Was I acting out of true compassion because as the second child I couldn't be as smart and tricky as my older brother? I had to find some gift. And As I look back over my life, I've come to believe at least that I hope it was the first. He announced me compassionate because he saw some compassion in me. I was meant to be a preacher I hope but if it is also true I think that I have been trying to conform to his expectations pretty much all of my life and that's where things get murky and the truth is behind our masks I'm just as tricky as my older brother and he is just as compassionate as I am that's the truth And who we really are behind the masks is not so easy to discern. Actually, we have so many masks that we try to conform ourselves to that we're not always sure what or which mask we should be wearing and where and when to wear it. When I first went to seminary, I was so self-conscious about my faith and my piety about the fact that I had no idea what was in the Bible, to be honest. I compared myself to all the others there, and I felt like a complete fraud. Spiritually, academically, you name it. But I played the part long enough to discover that they felt like frauds too, except for Bill, who had graduated from a small liberal arts college in North Carolina, Presbyterian, that will go unnamed, who took Greek in college and majored in it and felt no self-doubt at all. But for the rest of us, usually, behind those masks we wear, we know ourselves imposters, like my good friend Bill who became the chief cardiac surgeon in Atlanta Hospital and then the head of staff who said to me one day, when I put on that white coat and walk down the halls, I feel like a complete imposter. Oh yeah. We know what he means. Now wearing these masks that we wear is not always being hypocritical. Sometimes we just have to wear them to conform Depending on the circumstances, conforming might, in fact, be the most loving thing we can do. So maybe the trick to growing up, to becoming mature and healthy, is to discover the freedom to wear the masks when necessary, to choose to wear them when we do, or to wear none at all, depending. I wear my minister preacher's mask when I am at church, but I do not at home or risk my life. I do not wear my competitive goth mask at church, usually. Our ability to freely choose which mask to wear, therapists call individuation, And when we are really healthy, we understand what to conform to and what not to conform to. And then we can freely choose to wear the mask that is the best interest for the larger society in which we connect. And also, at the same time, and this is the tension, the best interest for ourselves. And they are not always the same. Now every school teacher, especially preschool teacher, will tell you that this process starts before kindergarten, it's called socialization. We learn to share our toys, sit quietly, respect our elders, and conform to certain standards. But also, hopefully, we learn about ourselves, our own value as individual selves. And there's the tension, the one and the many. The need to conform and the need to be independent and free to be who I am apart from conforming to the world's and everyone else's expectations of us. When it gets out of whack, when we get stuck in one or the other or mix them up, or when our masks wear us, choose us, or control us rather than our choosing them, then we are less individuated hence less healthy. And we all know what that feels like, too. Like when we are socialized to conform to certain roles that we don't even recognize in ourselves. A tragic story, I don't know if you saw it, of that nine-year-old girl who fatally shot her instructor with an Uzi machine gun. While her parents videoed her is a sad example of the way that we are socialized to conform to realities that may not be true. What kind of values were they trying to teach this child by learning how to shoot a machine gun? That guns don't kill people, people do? Or if you saw the article in the paper last week about the hundred citizens of the United States who have gone to fight for ISIS because it is the brutality of ISIS that has appealed to them. If brutality is the mask that we grow up with, it will probably be the mask that we wear. It will be what we conform to unless... Something happens. Something happens that transforms us. Something like love, God, grace. Maybe not not as dramatic as Paul, but something can happen. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds to the will of God so that you may discern what is good and acceptable and perfect. So then the question becomes, what mask will we freely choose to wear now? Hopefully it is the mask of Christ. It looks like, well, it just looks like You and me, when we are being Christ-like. It is a mass that sees through the pretenses of life and in each other, that sees the worth of every human being, that honors their gifts, whose love is genuine, who hates what is evil, holds fast to what is good, who loves one another with mutual affection, outdoing one another in showing honor, who does not lag in zeal, is ardent in spirit, who serves the Lord, rejoices in hope, is patient in suffering, perseveres in prayer, contributes to the needs of the saint, and extends hospitality to strangers. This is our work. And it is this mask of Christ that we are called to wear 24-7. Not just in church. It's easy to be up here behind a, a preacher's robe and say this. You've got the hard job. You're out in the world. It's trying to get you to conform to the world's values every single second. Paul says transformed by Christ Our life's work as Christians is possible. Otherwise, we are just living a pretense, a complete charade, just dressing up another hypocrite for the part that we know we'll never play. The thing is, we can't understand the part. We can't really know the part unless we try to play it or even play at it. We have to wear the mask of Christ even when we don't feel Christ-like. Ouch! And freely choosing to wear that mask is what spiritual maturity is all about. I was talking to a free preacher friend of mine who gave me the perfect story for this sermon. A couple of weeks ago, he took one of his church leaders to lunch to a swanky restaurant that has a valet service out front. He gave the valet his keys and he took back the number and he went in to eat lunch. And when they were through, he came back out and handed the valet his number. The valet went to get the key, and after about 10 minutes, he came back with the sheepest grin on his face, saying, Sir, I am very sorry, but we cannot locate your keys. My preacher friend thought at that moment, What an idiot! He has one job to do, that is to keep up with the keys of those who are patrons here, and he didn't even do that. I have a mind to give him what's up. But because he was standing there with one of his church members, he decided not to reveal that mask, but instead he said, Look, mistakes happen. I understand. I tell you what keep looking for it, and I'll call my secretary to come pick us up, which he did. She came, she came and picked him up, took his guest back to get his car, took him back to his house to get the second set of keys, then took him back to the restaurant. When he drove up to the restaurant, got out of the car, the valet saw him, ran up to him with his giant smile on his face and said, I am so sorry, I am so sorry, but we found your keys now, my preacher friend thought, ah, oh, I'm with, alone with him now. This is the moment that I can finally get my pound of flesh and tell him what I think. Before I could get the word out, the valet said, I want to thank you for being so kind to me back then when I lost them. Most people would have raked me over the coals. You know, when you were standing there with your friend, I heard you and your friend talking about church, so I assumed it was because you must be a Christian. (sighs) The good Christian pastor was exposed, at least to himself, and he saw the fraud behind the mask that he wore. But because he had chosen whether legitimately or not, all our motives are mixed— Whether he had, because he had chosen to wear a mask of kindness and patience, everything changed. It's a good story about faking it till you make it. And even if we don't feel like blessing those who are against us, and even if we would rather take vengeance, we don't because we now wear a different face may only be a mask, but sooner or later, if we wear it enough, we might start looking like the real human being we were created to be. True, individuated, healthy selves. After a sermon, he went on to tell me that everybody came up to him with valet stories. But the favorite was the man who came up and said, You know, I bought a brand new Mercedes, a car I've been waiting for all my life, I drove up to a restaurant. I got out. I threw the keys at the valet. I was in a hurry. I went in to eat. I came back out. There was no valet. I went in to ask, where's the valet? And They said, we don't have a valet. (laughs) They found the car at the coast ready to be loaded onto a a a, a boat on the way to Mexico.